Hello and welcome to episode 49 of the Thinking LSAT podcast in Los Angeles. I'm Nathan Fox. With me in Washington, D.C. is Ben Olson. Ben, how you doing? Good. Uh, it's a little cloudy today, but I'm inside and I don't have windows, so it doesn't matter. <laughs> okay. That's an awesome <laughs> weather report. <laughs> yeah. It is uh, sunny and warm in Los Angeles, as you might expect. I wore shorts all day yesterday on December 8th which is a little bit crazy. Okay, so is this the first time you're recording from L.A.? Yes, this is the first time I'm recording from L.A. And, you know, I should go ahead and apologize right off the top to all the listeners because I had some technical issues this morning and uh, I was not able to hardwire myself to the Internet because I was missing one little adapter. So if uh, my sound is funny, it's totally my fault. Um, but I will get that fixed by the next episode. Don't worry. Cool. Well, how do you like it there? Oh, it's great. I mean, it's, it's super weird. I don't know how much time you spent in LA, but it's, uh, it's weirder than you think. I mean, I, I live now in two of the weirdest places in the world. The combination of San Francisco and LA is, uh, is bizarre. Um, I'm, I'm surprised at how many people are like into the Hollywood thing here in LA. Uh, it's, it's, I would have thought like, oh, well, no, I mean, that's going to be like a small portion of, of what you see around. And it's just like any other city. There's, you know, it's not, it's not like everybody's here trying to make it big. Um, but no, there are a significant portion of the people that you meet around that are, you know, uh, actors and writers and um, models and <laughs> personal trainers and, uh, you know, bartenders and waitresses. <laughs> that's like what, that's like what everybody, it seems like at least, uh, where I, where I'm at, it seems like the people that I've met. So it's oh. kind of cool. Um, I saw the most hipster thing I've probably ever seen in my life. Uh, the other day I was in Silver Lake, uh, and which is like hipster central. And I saw someone meditating inside the coffee shop. Like sitting there, he, he was actually sitting there with a friend across the table from a friend and the friend was like just eating his sandwich or something. And this guy was for like 10 minutes sitting there with, um, he was even doing that thing you do with your fingers. I don't know what to call that. You know, you touch your like middle finger to your thumb or whatever. No, yeah. Both hands. Yeah. Mm-hmm. He's just sitting there with his eyes closed, like little smile on his face, just meditating inside of the <laughs> coffee shop. <laughs> So um and his friend was uh, cool with that. His friend was just like chilling. Yeah, it was it was uh it was strange. But uh overall, yeah, I'm loving it. Um hmm. I'll be here until like shortly before Christmas and I'll go spend some time with my family and then I'll be back uh in San Francisco. My class starts on January 5th, so I'll be back in San Francisco for like 6 weeks in the beginning of the year and then I'll be back here and I'll just be back and forth, I guess, throughout the year. Yeah, so uh, it's it's interesting what you said about LA in terms of the the Hollywood thing. I uh, a couple of my good friends, several of them actually moved down there, and I haven't really stayed in touch with them. But when I do hear from them, uh, the they're in like a commercial, or you know something that's definitely kind of Hollywood related. Obviously, commercials aren't the same, but it's kind of I think aspirational to you know get into that acting scene and so forth. So. That's what it feels like they're all doing. I really need to stay in touch with them more to figure out what actually is happening, but maybe that's just what people do there. Yeah, it's you get the sense that it's like um 
I mean, not not me, but uh, it's like the best looking people from every small town just moved to LA, you know, to like <laughs> try to to try to make it. And um, yeah, I don't know what I'm doing here, but uh, no, I do know what I'm doing here, which is uh, just walking around a lot and uh, enjoying the views. I've hiked up to the observatory a million times in Griffith Park already. I don't know if you're familiar with that, but it's got like the panoramic view of LA and the ocean and everything. So. Mm. Cool. Yeah, I'm having a good time. And I live like in Thai town and there's really good Thai food around here. So that makes me happy. Awesome. Yeah. yeah. So on today's show, we are going to do one question from the June 2007 LSAT uh, Logical Reasoning. We are going to answer questions, uh, just little teasers here. Somebody is looking to maybe retake after getting a 171 on a, on a real LSAT, which is kind of mm. rare. You don't hear that very often. Um, this is also going to lead us into a discussion of how private tutoring actually works. Um, I think a lot of people don't even know what to expect from private tutoring. And so I thought that it might be useful if uh, Ben and I just each kind of share our experiences about what we do when we do work with students one-on-one. -on -one. Mm -hmm. um, we have a question from another listener who is going to, looks like, be studying for the LSAT now and then take a long break in the middle and then uh, resume studying. So we might chat about... Um, how, you know, maybe some ideas for how to <clears throat> pull that off. And then I've got a kind of a long email from a listener in Brazil um, with just several questions. And uh, I thought that was kind of cool. I always like the questions that we get from around the world. Mm -hmm. So that's that. Sound all right, Ben? Sounds good. Okay, great. So let's see. So let's start with this uh, question 12. We're in section two of the June 2007 LSAT. Again, uh, you can just Google June 2007 LSAT and this test will pop right up. So if you'd like to follow along with us, you can. Uh, we're going to do question number 12. You know, you could even pause the podcast and do question number 12 and uh, yourself and then uh, unpause it and listen to the discussion. Probably be a pretty good way to do this. But uh, you want to go ahead and read it, Ben? Yeah, sure. So question 12 says, suppose I have promised to keep a confidence and someone asks me a question that I cannot answer truthfully without thereby breaking the promise. Um, okay, honestly, I would stop here for a half second and just kind of reformulate the phrase, keep a confidence. Yep. I mean, I think it's pretty clear but at the same time it's not a phrase I ever use so I would just think to myself okay so this person is saying supposed suppose I have promised to keep something secret or not you know tell something to someone else uh, that just makes a little more sense to me it's a little more concrete um, do you have any thoughts on that for yeah sentence? reading that phrase keep a confidence it, it strikes me that I mean many students are not going to know what that means in, in my experience I think there are going to be a lot of students who are not going to know what that means um, you know, <clears throat> not that it's the most fancy phrase in the world, but yeah, some people aren't going to get it. I think you can still get this question right, though, because this, this first sentence, it does give you enough clues, I think, to figure out what keep a confidence means uh, just mm -hmm. from a context, right? So, like, if it had said, and, and this is one thing where I think students, you know, they'll, they'll give up, they'll mm -hmm. read something they don't understand, and then they'll give up. Basically, the way they give up is they just go, well, I didn't understand that, so I'm going to keep reading the argument. Yeah. And I think it's, it is really important um, 
that, you know, both you and I, is like the first thing we do is we stop and, and say, okay, let's just make sure we understand that. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, don't blunder on into the second sentence or the third sentence if you don't understand the first sentence. Suppose we replace keep a confidence with X mm-hmm. and then you read the premise, you know, or it's something that you really don't understand. There was some word there that nobody understands. I think you could still figure it out here because the sentence would read, suppose I have promised to X and someone asks me a question that I can't answer truthfully without thereby breaking that promise of X. I, I feel like in that, in that situation, we would be able to infer that X must have meant something about keeping a secret. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Right? I mean, otherwise, how, why would, if you, the only way you, if you're breaking the promise by answering truthfully, mm-hmm. then you must have promised not to say anything, or you must have promised to, a to lie, lie or yeah. something like that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Right? <clears throat> so I think you'd be able to infer that if you just, stayed there and forced yourself to infer it mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. um okay anyway so we we understand the first sentence pretty well i think you want to go ahead with the second yeah um so then the next sentence says obviously i cannot both keep and break the same promise okay that makes sense um therefore one cannot be obliged to both answer all questions truthfully and to keep all promises. Mm. Yeah, that's a little weird. <laughs> what are your thoughts? Well, I mean, I'm always going to do my best to argue with the conclusion of an argument. Mm-hmm. Uh, the conclusion is where the bullshit part comes in. In this argument, I think it's pretty clear that the last sentence is the ultimate conclusion of the argument. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um. You know, therefore, does not always indicate a conclusion, but in this case, it does. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I think there's a problem with it because what if I never promise to keep a confidence? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a that's exactly what I was thinking, and I guess um, not that I not that we're in the business of helping these arguments, but if you take the phrase "all promises" literally. Um, even if you don't make that promise, it is a promise out there, right, that could be made. And so you can't keep all um, promises okay. as opposed to the ones that you make. Maybe it's true that you can be obliged to keep to answer all questions, or you can't be obliged to answer all questions and... Or maybe, <laughs> sorry, I'm just I'm messing this up. But the idea is that this is referring to all promises in the universe as opposed to just all the ones that you've made. I, I guess, but that's a kind of a bizarre interpretation. I mean, you're helping out the argument quite a lot there. You know, I don't think, commonsensically, I don't think anyone would ever feel like you're obliged to keep a promise that you did not make. Right? I mean, if, if my friend promised to go pick up his friend from the airport why would I be obliged to keep that promise? It just doesn't, that just doesn't even make any sense, right? Yeah, so I'm just taking it very literally. Like, he's proposed in the first sentence that, uh, I mean, his example is him making a promise, but the idea is this is a potential promise that could be made. Sure. And so, yeah, since I understand that, yeah, 
I, I just have a very commonsensical objection to this argument. You know, mm -hmm. my, my, the first thing, if you told me this argument, the first thing out of my mouth would be, well, no, you can keep all of your prom. You can answer all your questions truthfully, and you can keep all of your promises as long as you don't promise to lie or as long as you don't promise to keep secrets. Yeah. You know? I mean, my initial um, gut reaction was the same thing because I thought, okay. well, maybe you don't make that promise and therefore you can kind of thread this needle and right. answer all questions truthfully right. and keep all your promises. But I guess what I'm, the only reason I'm sort of toying with this is that sometimes uh, when people are critical with arguments, they may go, they, they read the evidence and then they read the conclusion. I'm sorry, they read the evidence and then they they read the conclusion and they say, hey, th here's, here's a problem I think is with this argument. And that problem um, doesn't really exist because you could take the evidence f further than they took it. Like, given what was said, you do have to accept that X is true. The real problem is going from X to the conclusion, not from Y to the conclusion. Right, like they they didn't allow the evidence to take them as far as they could have taken them, and so I know that's, and and so they're looking for the wrong problem, I guess. Okay, uh, I think I'm approaching this question from a completely different place than you are. Um, you know, my my reaction to this would have been purely. Um, I think the argument is bullshit. I have a really concrete, easy to understand reason why I think the argument is bullshit. Mm -hmm. I have an objection. My objection is, well, you could, you know, as long as you avoid promising to keep secrets, then your conclusion doesn't make any sense. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And armed with that objection, I think I would feel perfectly happy going into these answer choices. I don't think I would think about it. I mean, that's as I would feel very comfortable at that point. Yeah, I uh, <clears throat> I guess I I would think it's important to be aware of that problem, um, but also to be aware of the potential that this could be literally referring to all promises, which is what's written, and then that may not be a problem, or you may need to search for another problem. I guess I'm just going after this. I, problem that I see with a lot of students in which I'm telling them to be critical, which I think is really important and an under, you know, used um, technique or strategy or whatever. But a lot of times they say, oh, the, the argument's messed up for this reason. And they're going after something that's said in the premises or something You're like, well, I know that that may not be true in normal life, but hey, they said this, so we have to accept that as true. Here, you're going after something that was said in the conclusion, which is totally valid. But I'm looking right. at that conclusion, and I'm thinking, yeah, but this could literally mean all promises, and I, that's what's written. And so I'm open okay. to the idea that, you know, this is a... I'm uh, open, yeah, I'm open to bizarre interpretations as well. I mean, I'm, I'm open... <laughs> whoa, whoa, wait, hold on. I, would, <laughs> I don't think it's a bizarre interpretation. I'm not going to give you that, because it does okay. say all promises. But yeah, I mean, I, I think being aware of those two things is, is a valuable thing as opposed to just thinking that this is definitely wrong. I think just being aware that, yeah, this could be legit since that's, it does say all promises as opposed okay, to. Okay. So let's, 
let's let's see if we can find a uh, let's see if we can find an answer <laughs> that makes us have the same argument because okay. it says which one of the following arguments is most similar in its reasoning to the argument above. Okay. Yeah. And one technique that so this is a matching pattern question. Many students find these questions to be really hard. I don't think they're as hard as people think. Um, we've talked about this before, I think, on the show. They look really long, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, this question mm -hmm. takes up its own whole giant column on the page, and um, we may need to read every word in all five answer choices in order to figure out the right answer. But then again, we might not, because sometimes these arguments, um, the answer choice arguments, will go off the rails early, and if they go off the rails early, then we could just dismiss them without even reading through the entire answer choice. Yeah. So yeah. We'll, we'll see. But what I would be looking for then is, you know, from my, all I was going to do is go into the answer choices and look for an answer that made me feel the same way I felt when I read the given argument. And the way I felt when I read the given argument was, well, but why don't you just not promise to do that then? Mm-hmm. And so I want, I'm going to see if I can find an answer that has a similar kind of, a, of an objection. I guess on a deeper level, we would be looking for an answer that also made us have this um, existential argument that we've been having about uh, the interpretation of that conclusion mm -hmm. about all promises and how we're going to choose to interpret that. Mm -hmm. So anyway, let's uh, read A. Okay, yeah. Um, I mean, really quick, going, going into the argument, I'd kind of look for this structure to it doesn't have to be in this order but something about like there's these two options and you can't do both therefore sure you can't do both kind of uh sure yeah roughly speaking okay so answer choice a says it is claimed that we have the unencumbered right to say whatever we want okay it is also claimed that we have the obligation to be civil to others but civility requires that we not always say what we want. So it cannot be true, both that we have the unencumbered right to say whatever we want and that we have the duty to be civil. Um, wow, that actually sounds pretty similar. We have two things. We can't do both. Therefore, we can't do both. Um, I mean, hmm. what are your thoughts on that one? I mean, I think I'd yeah. I mean, I would, I would just keep it open. I think I would just say, well, yeah, it's got the hey. Here's these two things that seem like they're at odds at each other, mm -hmm. so they can't both be right. Yeah, it's it's parallel to that extent. Yeah, I don't have the same objection to this that I had to the given argument, but I it does have a pretty similar feel. Mm -hmm. If I could eliminate B, C, D, and E, I'd be pretty happy just choosing A. Okay. So B says, some politicians could attain popularity with voters only by making extravagant promises. This, however, would deceive the people. Okay, this, I, I'm a little, this, this seems like this is going in the wrong direction with some politicians, but let's, let's just keep going. I don't know, yep. do you have any reactions so far? I'd be super skeptical just because it's talking about some politicians. It's making me think that this is going to go down this like conditional reasoning kind of a path yeah. with some and all and most or something like that, and that, that's just not going to match. Yeah. This is, well, I, I mean, I would, I'd, yeah, I'd be skeptical. I would keep reading just to sort of like sure. nail it out, but let's see here. Right. So... Since the only way for some politicians to be popular is to deceive, 
and any politician needs to be popular, it follows that some politicians must deceive. I don't know. I would have stopped reading it somewhere halfway halfway through that second sentence. I think I would have stopped. You know, mm-hmm. we've got we've got an only, we've got an any, we've got a conclusion now with some in it. It's just I just can't imagine that that's the same thing. Yeah. Yeah, and we don't have you cannot do both. You right. can't do X or right. Y. It's just some have to deceive. Okay, so yeah. C. If we put a lot of effort into making this report look good the client might think we did so because we believed our proposal would not stand on its own merits. Wow. So um, we have this if-then statement that then talks about what the client might think. Um, That's going into beliefs versus facts. I didn't see that in the beginning. Um, Yeah, it's just not looking the same to me. Yeah. Yeah. Would you stop here? I know I wouldn't stop, but I mean... I do like. I guess I could. You know, I, I already was skimming the next couple sentences, and I was just like, "It's gone." Yeah. Um, yeah. So anyway, the, maybe just keep going. Yeah. Okay. So it says, "On the other hand, if we do not try to make the report look good, so this is like, if A, and then if not A, right? We did not see right, that at right, all. and so, yeah, uh, this is gone." Yeah, and then that conclusion there too, you know. So whatever we do, we risk her criticism. It's like, <laughs> oh, so we're, you know, we're screwed either way. That conclusion just doesn't match, right? We wanted, yeah, we wanted, we can't do both. Mm-hmm. This one is like we're screwed either way. That's not, that's just not a match. Yeah, this is interesting. I think that um, what's happening here, and probably true for both of us in actual practice, is that you're reading the first sentence, you're becoming skeptical, and then you. In probably in most cases, I don't know, tell me if you're different, but we are reading the rest, but so fast. It's really just to confirm that our suspicions are right. Would you say? Yeah, I read the arguments themselves super carefully, and then I read the answer choices with an intention of eliminating them. Mm -hmm. Right? Mm -hmm. I'm reading the given argument with an intention of understanding it and mastering it and knowing exactly what's there. I'm reading the answer choices with an 80% presumption that it's the wrong answer. And so I'm just not going to spend very much time on it. I'm, I'm looking for reasons to say no. Yeah, I guess what I'm, I'm also just clarifying here is that if an answer choice starts out poorly and you're skeptical of it, it that, that speed increases, right? You, you continue to read, but it's more just to like, yeah, yeah, this is probably wrong. Yes, this is definitely wrong. This is definitely going down the wrong path. Whereas the right answer, you're probably reading quickly, like you said, compared to the original argument, but it's not like you're getting faster. You're kind of like, oh yeah, this is sounding right. Let's keep going. And then you finish and you say, maybe I'm going to keep this one open. Whereas a wrong answer, it's like, as you go through it, you're getting faster and faster just to con- like confirm that it's wrong. Yes, I agree. Okay, D. If creditors have legitimate claims against a business and the business has the resources to pay those debts then the business is obliged to pay them. Also, if a business has obligations to pay debts, then a court will force it to pay them. Now, now there we can, we can stop, can't we? I think so. What's I your mean, main concern? That's like an if, well, it's an if then, and then another if then that links from it. Yeah. Right? Mm-hmm. It's like if A then B, if B then C. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, there was nothing like that in the given argument. Nope. 
So there's one where I, I don't think you even need to look at the last sentence. I think that's just out. Cool. Three E. If we extend our business hours, we will either have time have to have to hire new employees or have existing employees work overtime. Okay, so we have these two options, but both new employees and additional overtime would dramatically increase our labor costs. Both of these would lead to whatever. We cannot afford to increase our labor costs, so we will have to keep our business hours as they stand. Um, that's also not saying we can't do uh, both, right? This is just going back to the original. So yeah. It's a it's a kind of a funny so yeah ease out and the the only answer that we liked at all must be a, um it's kind of a like it's almost it's just super simple almost right mm -hmm. this question yeah it's like you're here we're matching on a very um, basic level which is just you can't do both so you can't do both mm -hmm. um I really feel like a especially in the conclusions. The conclusion of A really matches the conclusion of the given argument, and I'm not sure that the conclusion of any of the other answers really matches the conclusion of the given argument. Yeah, you can't have a matching argument if you don't have a matching conclusion. Mm -hmm. So I would be pretty confident here with A. Yeah, one thing about this parallel reasoning question was all the conclusions uh, came last, uh, yeah. which made it easy to compare. But you really do have to make sure you're comparing conclusion to conclusion. So if the conclusion comes first, it may feel like it's the wrong argument. Right. But you just right. have to keep in mind that okay, they put the conclusion first, and now I got to compare that to the original conclusion, not to the yeah, original. just yeah, just to like put uh, drive that home maybe a little more. Mm -hmm. uh, the element of the the sorry the order of the elements in an argument has nothing to do with the logic of the argument. So they can put the conclusion first or last or in the middle. And it can be parallel to an argument where the conclusion is last or in the middle or first. Yep. Um, and yeah, they, they made it easy on us here by putting the conclusion last in the given argument and the conclusion last in each of the answer choices. That does make it easier to kind of um, scan. But we, there's tons of examples of parallel uh, reasoning questions where the given argument had the conclusion last and the correct answer had the conclusion first. That does happen. Yep. Cool. All right. Well, I guess that's it. I, it, as it turns out, my objection to the given argument had, I don't think anything to do with, um, picking the correct answer. So, uh, you know, maybe, um, I was wrong in accusing you of interpreting the argument in a bizarre manner. <laughs> uh, <laughs> no, I think it's actually a good point, but I, um, I think really sometimes people do that and they're like, oh, I wasted all this time to figure out what was wrong or whatever. But I think that process just forces you to become acutely aware of the argument itself and how it got to its conclusion, which is going to help you no matter what, you know? Whereas if you just kind of yeah. read it and then jump into the answer choices, you don't have that solid understanding of how the person went from their premises to their conclusion. Yeah, I mean, you get as deep as you want into analyzing the argue, the given argument, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, you that's your job, is to understand that given argument. Yeah. So I don't think I've ever told a student, 
hey, you know, you better hurry up and get into those answer choices. <laughs> that I've, I never, ever, ever have I said that in my entire career teaching LSAT. It's always so, the opposite, wouldn't you say? It's, yes, it is always the opposite. I mean, the biggest mistake that people make on logical reasoning is they just get into the answer choices way too quickly. Um, yeah, so if we're going to, yeah, I, I mean, I, you can't get too deep into that stimulus or give or the given argument yeah once you got it then it's gonna you're gonna be able to go through the answer choices so much faster because you really understood uh what was in the argument yeah not to make anyone feel bad but occasionally this has this doesn't happen very often but occasionally someone will ask well i just want to know the difference between d and e and i'll start talking about the original argument and um this is pretty rare but they'll get on their phone you know like oh okay (laughs) Oh man. We'll we'll wait until um we're ready to talk about D and E or something. And I mean I'm I'm talking about the original argument because that's really what makes the difference between D and E, you know, and it's it's more important more important than that, I think it's it's that um approach that's gonna help you with a future question. Sure, we can talk about the difference of D and E right now and you know, oh now you know the difference for this question, but how are you gonna spot that in the future? So, totally, yeah. That's a really good. That's a really good point. I mean, um, in my classes, I don't know how you do it, but I just have I have them like a lot of times just do a section of logical reasoning, and then they they tell me which ones caused them problems. Yeah. And what I really want them to do is just say, "Hey, I had a problem with number thirteen. Uh, then I want to just do number thirteen together. Like I, I'll read it from the top and like really dig into it, and I'm gonna." show them here's how I would have approached number 13 mm-hmm. but every once in a while yeah I'll get the student who will just be like yeah 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 but I just want to know why E's wrong yeah and it's like well I'm trying to tell you why E's wrong but the, we can't start by just looking at E mm-hmm. we have to get we have to understand what the argument is we have to understand what type of question it is mm-hmm. I mean um, depending on the type of question a lot of times the reason why E's wrong is because I was able to predict exactly what the answer was, mm-hmm. and E is not exactly what I predicted. Yeah. Uh, you know, like on a sufficient assumption question, I would be able to do that kind of an analysis. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, sometimes there's not a super satisfying explanation for why E is wrong, other than it's not the right answer, you know? It's just not, it's just not what we were looking for. Yeah. Okay, that's that. Anything else you want to say about no. logical no. reasoning today? No, that was okay, good. Cool. Okay, great. Um, here's an email from a listener. I'm going to kind of paraphrase it. Thank you, everybody, for writing in, by the way. Uh, you can reach both of us, help at thinkinglsat.com. And uh, it is the quickest way to get in touch with us. Uh, it'll email both Ben and me, and we will um, get back to you, slash put uh, things on our agenda for future shows. Um, I don't know about you, Ben, but do you? I write back to everybody. Do you write back to everybody? Uh, I think so. I try to at least. Yeah, yeah. Sometimes. I mean, I'm unless somebody writes us both, and and one of us already responded, then maybe I won't. But like, if if you email me, I do. You know, I do really pride myself on trying to get back to everybody. So, thanks for um, all of your questions. Anyway, this one says, um, "Here's my question for y'all regarding a possible February retake." I went whole hog prepping for the last LSAT. I took and blind reviewed 25 practice tests. Um, Blah, 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 a bunch of books. Practice tests regularly around 168, 169. 
and was thrilled to score a 171 on the real deal. Then I overcaffeinated one morning and decided to shoot for better, think 174-ish. Since then, I've been prep testing in the 167 to 171 range. Logic games continue to suck, and I'm losing points there, but I'm steadily improving. Um, what bothers me is that I'm missing between two to four questions per section on logical reasoning and reading comprehension. The website I'm using to score practice tests tell, tells me the ones I'm whiffing on are four to five star difficulty. So I'm not making stupid errors, really, but you're in the same amount of points for stupid errors as... Uh, and not as stupid errors. Yes, that is true. Okay, anyways, here are my two questions. Have I reached the either you're smart enough or you're not territory with these questions I'm missing? Are these questions designed to weed me out? Is the rational choice to make a graceful exit with my 171? That's one question. Um, I don't know. What do you think so far, Ben? Well, I don't think so. I mean, I don't know if I'm answering this question. Well, first of all, to answer that question directly, I would say most people probably can go farther than they think. It's just a matter of how much time do you want to keep working at the LSAT. Um, and there might be something about the way they're approaching specific questions that could just be fixed. And even you know when they're scoring very high, uh, they still aren't doing some small things that could tip you know, the scales in one direction or another for these questions that they're missing and turn them into right answers instead of wrong ones because they're almost certainly debating between the two most tempting answers. Um, so I think that's a kind of a hard question to answer, but in general, most people can, can go further uh, than they think. The other thing here is she says that she's scoring between 167 and 171 and her games are what are bringing her down. It feels to me like that's a section she can close the gap on. And so I would say there's still points to be. Yeah, I agree with that. She's writing, she's writing specifically complaining about logical reasoning and reading comprehension. But if you're, if you're trying to score higher than 170, I mean, or higher than 171, I would almost expect that the games would need to be perfect in order to do that. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Wouldn't, wouldn't you? I mean, that's how most students would get there. It's yeah. pretty rare that you see a 173 where the games are not... <laughs> Perfect. Yeah, because it's a section where you can sort of <laughs> dig in and say, okay, I'm doing this incorrectly. I need to fix this, and yeah. here's what I should do. Yeah. It's very concrete. Yeah. I mean, so it's like it looks like she's missing, if we were going to just take an average, if she's missing three questions mm -hmm. per section on logical reasoning and reading comprehension, that's nine yep. questions wrong. Perfect games would definitely get her above 170. Yeah. Um, I don't know. Yeah, that, I, I think I'd probably start there. Um, what do you think about the... I mean, I, I, I also am... I want to echo your, you know, yes, you can probably go higher, but why? Mm-hmm. You know, do you, do you, have you decided, is it, is it a matter of pride or have you decided that you, for whatever reason, you need higher than 171? 171 is awful high. I mean, that's 98th percentile, right? Yeah, it is. Um, and she's scoring between 167 and 171, which means she had the benefit of 
Actually, I think she was scoring around 168, 169, she said, when she took it the first time, and she got a 171, which means she hit the highest end of her range probably, at least at the time. Seems like yeah. an opportunity to take it and run. Um, the other thing here is, I, I mean, there is a difference between applying with a 171 and a 174 at some of these schools, but is her time better spent on the LSAT, or is it better spent on like making the rest of her application better, hiring someone like Anne and investing that time and money in saying something that draws in these schools. I mean, I guess we don't know her GPA, but I don't know. I feel like at this point, given where she's scoring, it might be a better use of her time and effort. Yeah, um, I I envy the work ethic, you know, and the perfectionism that all, all of these people have. Uh, it's very lawyerly of uh, people to be continuing, you know, to be not happy with the 171 and want to do better. Mm -hmm. And um, I'm absolutely, maybe she can, and absolutely there would be a big difference at a lot of schools if she was, you know, especially 175 or something like that. I mean, it, it that does make a difference. Mm -hmm. But um, it just could take a, a ton of work to get there. Mm -hmm. Sounds like she's already been doing it, though. So she's, you know, she's not afraid of the work. That's good. Yeah. Um, I would say perfect games is kind of step one. And then what do we think about these? You know, she's missing ones that are labeled as four to five star difficulty. Do you think that means that she has reached like some sort of a hard limit or what would you say about that? Uh, no, not necessarily. I would, I'd really want to meet with her and have her explain what she did as she answered those questions. Right. And yeah, her second. Mm -hmm. Go ahead. Sorry. Her, just her second question was I'm considering a few hours of private tutoring may, uh, via Skype, but I don't know how to frame a request for what I need because there's no one question type I'm struggling with. Mm -hmm. um, so she doesn't know what questions to ask, and that's preventing her from doing private tutoring. Um, what would you say to that? Um. Yeah, well, that's actually almost always the case. There's almost It's almost always the case that it's not one particular question type that someone is struggling with. Instead, they're uh, struggling with the hard questions uh, just for all the different types. And it really has to do with the way they're analyzing those questions. So if, they, if she met with you or I and started walking us through even just one question, but after two or three, there's often... I mean, I'm sure you have the same experience. You're like, wait a sec, this is a totally different question type, but you thought about the conclusion in the same way for these two arguments. And that's not the way you should be thinking about this. Or you completely ignored uh, the word usually and then the word tends to in both of these cases, which just mean most. And, you know, have you ever thought of that? Sometimes... Right. I, you know, I think when people are scoring this high, a lot of times I might make assumptions about their familiarity with the test, but uh, there are some lessons or different, you know, specific ideas that might be kind of core or basic to the test, but they still haven't sort of wrapped their minds around those ideas 100%. They've just sort of intuitively felt like, oh, this answer is wrong or whatever, um, but not fully clarified in their minds why it is. So... Analyzing the argument. Yeah, I, I totally agree with that. Um, I think it's funny because I maybe it's because prep most prep programs or most prep books um, 
they get so caught up in question types, like the technicalities of question mm -hmm. types, mm -hmm. that I think that they don't, you know, they don't teach people the critical skill, which is just reading the argument properly mm -hmm. and really knowing what's there and really digging mm -hmm. in. Um, so many times I have an idea what the gist of the answer is way before I know what type of question it yeah. is. And it's, you know, because I've already spotted the gap in the argument. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And so, yeah, for a, for a student like this, I would, uh, you know, if it sounds like she's putting in the time, right? She's putting in the effort. Mm -hmm. um, I think that this would be exactly the type of student that might benefit from one or two uh, private tutoring sessions. Yeah. Um, you know, she's already done the, the she's done a, a ton of tests. She's read a ton of books. Mm -hmm. She's probably gotten all of the, you know, knowledge. Um, I don't think that she's missing any LSAT knowledge. Mm -hmm. um, but she probably could use somebody who is really an expert to analyze what she's doing and, and read through a few questions with her and just kind of talk to her about the way she's, the way she's approaching it. And there would be absolutely no guarantees that someone like this could improve because she's already at a you know really pretty high score. But mm -hmm. those those two, three, or four questions that she's missing on the logical reasoning um, and even the reading comprehension, I mean, it could absolutely be that somebody like you would be able to say, would be able to just spot something that was like, oh well, I oh I see, you know, you're not quite grasping this one issue, or you're you're your technique is just a little bit flawed right here. And it could be trivial to pick up one or two more logical reasoning questions mm -hmm. um, with an expert. So um, yes, this is exactly the type of person that I would recommend private tutoring for. And all we would really do, I mean, I don't know about you, but I would have her bring my most, her, I would have her bring her, her two or three most recent practice tests and I would just look at her mistakes with her. That's it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, exactly the same. Cool. Okay. So that's how private tutoring works. I mean, it's simple. It's, uh, you know, I don't know how people think there's like some magic or something. But all it really is is sort of um, work through your mistakes and try to figure out why you're missing the ones you're missing. Because the fact that you're continually missing them means that you you don't quite understand why you're missing them. You know, even if you think you do... I think there are subtleties or, or there are maybe a few different angles that you could be coming at it where you like, yeah, you can, you can see why the right answer is right in, in, in retrospect, but maybe we would have a, a trick or something that you could use uh, a way of getting it right the first time. I guess that's the difference. Yeah. And I, I, I sh we've talked about this before, but it, it is interesting how people will grade, you know, a question and then learn that the answer is D, and then say, oh yeah, that makes sense. But I wonder how often it really does, because when you, you know, then you ask him, okay, okay, why why is D right? And, you know, remember C, that's the one you were debating. Why, why is that wrong? And so many times they're sort of like, well, hmm, yeah, now that you ask for a concrete explanation, I'm having trouble really coming up with it. It just sort of you know, there wasn't really any change between the time that they didn't know what the right answer was and the time that they did. <laughs> Except now right, right. Now they know what the credited answer is, so they're they're like just willing to to. There's an ego thing there, right? Like people do that all the time, where you say, if you say, 
I've learned that as a teacher, that if I say, do you understand? People will just say yes. Yeah. But if I say, explain it to me, <laughs> then they will have, you know, a lot of times they would have said yes. But then if I say, oh, yeah, so just tell me why. And then they'll not really be able to articulate it, which indicates to me that they don't really fully understand it. Yeah. <clears throat> I remember uh, reading some book on that actual question. Do you understand? And, the, you know, a lot of times... It wasn't a whole book. Sorry, that sounds ridiculous. Um, but it was like a paragraph or a chapter on it. And um, they're saying that people, like you said, will want to say yes, partly for ego reasons. But a lot of times people are very, very sincere. They think it makes sense. But if you think it makes sense, then for a certain reason, and that's not the right reason, there's no way. It's like circular reasoning. You have no way of... <laughs> You know, yeah. judging yourself and saying, okay, um, I'm wrong or whatever. So, Yeah, so we were on to this next question. And it says, I have a question I'd love some advice on. I'm hoping to take the LSAT in June. Because of my diagnostic score, 165, and full-time job, I've decided to study on my own without taking a prep course. I don't have any problem with that. What about you? Yeah, that's a great diagnostic score. Yeah, yeah. Once it, starting at one sixty five is awesome. I mean, I don't know that I've ever met anybody who started at one sixty five and didn't end up in the one seventies. Yeah. So that's that is awesome. Um, I work in public accounting and will be very busy during tax season, uh, which goes till April fifteenth. I was wondering what your thoughts were on how to deal with not being able to study much during this time. I was planning on starting to study now in December and then taking a break during my busy season and starting back up studying in April. I'd really appreciate any advice, uh, Anastasia. Thanks, Anastasia. Uh, go ahead, Ben, what do you think? Well, she says that her busy season is between February and April. Yeah. And if she's starting now in December, it seems like she could take the February LSAT, especially with her diagnostic score of 165. I wouldn't be surprised if she got into the 170s, by the beginning of January. If yeah, not, I can't believe I didn't even think of that. Ben, that's why you get the big bucks on the show. Um, <laughs> oh. Speaking of big bucks, hey, how about our donation button on our website? Yeah. Should um, we tell everybody about that? Wait, what'd you say? How, should we tell everybody about the donation button? I, I guess I guess you have. No? The cat's out of the bag. There's yeah. a, there's a, <laughs> there's a, we kind of did it for a laugh, I suppose, but it's on uh, thinkinglsat.com. People have asked us, hey, why don't you put a donation button? And mm -hmm. it seems kind of preposterous to me that people would want to donate to the show, but if someone's asking, is there a way to donate money? Well, then it's like, okay, we will, we will oblige you and make a way to donate money if you're so inclined. Um, we do have some expenses running the show, I guess. Uh, we have our editor, Sean, and we have uh, some other assistants here and there, we pay for web hosting. There are things like that. So if you want to help us defray some of our costs, uh, you are welcome to do so. But uh, we're by no means begging you to do that. Yeah. Any, anyhow. Mm -hmm. um, so, yeah, you're right. I mean, if, if her busy season isn't till February, and I, I guess maybe I thought, well, holidays... Maybe there's work in January as well. But yeah, if, if she has the time now, starting at a 165, getting to a 170-something, 
in December and January should be totally feasible. And then, yeah, take the February LSAT and be done with it. Yeah. That'd be awesome. And if that's, mm-hmm. go ahead, go ahead. And if she doesn't do as well as she'd wanted to, she can take it in June and still be very early in the application cycle. So. Yeah. Yeah. Good on her for starting now. I mean, that's, that's for sure. That's awesome. Um, but, but totally not too late to start now pushing for the um, February test. Use June as a backup. What, what, do you, what would you say if she wasn't going to take the February test? Um, do we have any tips for like how to sort of do it and then take a break and then come back to it? Or is that even a good idea? Well, I guess I wonder how busy busy is. Uh, I do know some tax people and yeah. they do get pretty slammed especially yeah. right up to april 15th because everyone is providing you know all that information so maybe there absolutely is no time especially as they get closer to that date um but i sometimes when people want to do this or they want to go sort of slower over a longer period of time i feel like they should still be doing something once a week, like even if it's just a 35 minute section to sort of stay in touch with the test and the thought process. So it's not like totally starting a new later, but maybe she can't do that. I don't know. Yeah. I don't know how busy busy is either. I mean, I do know that they do the bulk of their work like for the year, um, you know, in between January 1st and April 15th. Mm -hmm. So it's possible that she's just working 14 hours a day, seven days a week and has no time for anything else. But I do think that would be great. Um, yeah, your suggestion makes a lot of sense. Even if you can just do a timed section here or there when you, when you have a chance to do it. Of course, you're going to review your mistakes thoroughly every time you do a 35-minute section. Uh, you have to follow that up by reviewing your mistakes, try to make some forward progress out of those mistakes. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, then pick it back up in April. So that, that makes a lot of sense. I, I do think, though, you're right, Ben, that the pushing for the February test would be even better because she could just be done with it. Yeah. And cool. if she doesn't get to where she wants to get by February, well, just withdraw and unfortunately lose that money, but not a real big loss, I think, overall. In the grand scheme of your $150,000 that you're going to pay for law school, um, yeah, the LSAC. B is just not that much. So, yeah, I like that plan of like sign up for February, give yourself the motivation to to drive toward the February test, and then consider it almost like an option to take the February test, right? You're paying money for the option to take the test. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then it, you can withdraw the day before if you want. If you're not ready, you can always withdraw. But she is someone starting at a 165. I mean, uh, there's... A lot of good things happen when you start at 165, so that's uh, encouraging. Yeah, yeah, that's exciting. Cool. Um, hey, you know, speaking of money, um, we had a listener write in yesterday uh, trying to get us to help sort through what schools to apply to, and she was saying that she's on a, I think it was she, I can't remember. I think she was saying that she can't, she's like on a budget, and she can only apply to a, small number of schools okay and um my my feedback to her was hey have you been asking schools for fee waivers um because and she was like no is that even a thing she had applied for the lsac fee waiver and didn't get it 
And then she took that as, oh, I, I, I can't get fee waivers from any schools. Hmm. But um, that's totally wrong, right? Yeah. Um, I mean, it's, it's totally up to the school what they want to do with you. And they may do give you a fee waiver for reasons that are not related to your financial situation at all. Yeah. Yeah. And um, this student, I believe, was a really high scorer. She, I think she said something like her practice tests were something. Do you remember Ben from that? Yeah, email? I feel it was like, like she was saying between what she was expecting between 170 and 175. Yeah, which you know, of course, makes her a super compelling candidate. Um, she said she was complaining about her low GPA, which I think was like 3.4 or something, which isn't even that bad. No, um, but when you combine that with a 170 anything, that makes you a super attractive applicant, and schools really want you to go there. I mean, that's the kind of uh, applicant that's going to get scholarship money at the majority of law schools and they would be I, I i'll be really shocked when you ask them for a fee waiver and they say no uh, that just does not happen that all that often they of course they can say no but i think they're going to say yes more often than they're going to say no when you're a really compelling candidate or whenever you have reasons um, many schools are dropping their application fee entirely these mm. days, mm -hmm. uh, you know, it's it's just uh, it's a buyer's market. They're they're really desperate for applicants now. So, anyway, if if you're feeling you know that the pinch on the budget and you want to apply to more schools, but you're not going to because of money, I mean, I, that's I think schools would think that's really tragic that you weren't going to apply to their school because of their application fee, yeah. and uh, you know, when you, especially when you're a really attractive candidate, so. And I wouldn't Ask. be surprised if once she takes the test, she starts getting a lot of offers <laughs> unsolicited. You know that too. Like, yeah, have, that's another public service announcement. If you when you sign up for the test, it really is in your best interest to check that box that says yes. Uh, I would like to get unsolicited um, information or whatever from schools, because. Yeah, even in some cases, as soon as you sign up, people start getting offers. Mm -hmm. um, like free applications and that kind of stuff. Um, definitely once you take the test and you get a decent score, you will start getting all sorts of unsolicited um, fee waivers, et cetera, from schools all over the place. Mm -hmm. So yeah, I mean, I, I think that this candidate was in a good spot, but she just didn't even realize it. So um, I wanted to make sure that we put that out there. And um, worst, worst they can say is no, right? Yeah. So go ahead and ask, and if they say no, then fine. But if they say yes, then that is a hundred bucks or whatever. So it's probably worth sending the email. Yeah. Cool. Um, on to our next question. Mm -hmm. Cool. Uh, big fan of the podcast. After listening to several episodes, I thought you might find my case interesting. I was born and raised in Brazil and went to the U.S. in 2010 for college. Da -da -da kind of low GPA, got a job as a reporter, stayed in the U.S. for a while, and then came back to Brazil a couple months ago. So hello um, to South America. Yeah. Uh, I've been studying for the LSAT for a few weeks now. Five practice tests, 153, 157, 163, 160, and 166. That's great. A lot of a lot of progress there. That's yeah, awesome. that is a lot of progress just for those tests. Quick progress in five tests. Yeah. 
Um, my biggest struggle is in reading comprehension. I've got a good grip on the games. Logical reasoning missing two to four per section. Okay, looking at either the February or the June LSAT. So here are the here are the questions. Uh, there are three of them. I'm not sure we actually have. I don't have answers for all of them, but I, I wanted to see what you had to say about um, about these. So sure. do you, do you think I have a chance of getting a good scholarship at a good school even with my bad GPA? Which, by the way, was two point seven, but it but uh three point four and three point six in the in his two senior semesters, which is not horrible. No. I mean, which is good, a lot better. Yeah. But 2.7 overall is really low. Wants to know if he can get a good scholarship at a good school. What do you think? I think he has a chance for two reasons. One, um, well, I guess it depends on what ultimately happens with his LSAT score, but given the progress he's made and the fact that he's kind of just getting started and has you know, the room to go a lot further. Uh, his score could go up. Um, but I think he has a good chance because he did better at the end, and I think they're more concerned about your GPA at the end. I also think that having been born and raised in Brazil, he brings something to the school that a lot of applicants cannot bring. Um, just, you know, an outside American perspective. Yep. Um, and they may want that. For reasons that have nothing to do necessarily with his GPA. And so they say, hey, this is, if his LSAT score goes up and his GPA was up at the end, they may feel like, hey, this is a risk we can take. It's a low risk that he's not going to do well. So a high risk, I mean, it's very likely that he is going to do well in school. So let's take him and probably give him a scholarship. I, I think, it, I think so, uh, some school might do that. It really depends on his LSAT too, though. You know. Yeah. Yeah. Totally. Totally going to be dependent on the LSAT. But I mean, my guess is that even if he just if one sixty six is his top, um, you know, which wouldn't that would be not unexpected for somebody starting with a one fifty three, right? Start with mm -hmm. a one fifty three, and if you end up finishing with a one sixty six, that would not be shocking. Yeah. Um, but with a two point seven and a one sixty six, I would think that there's going to be schools out there that are going to be looking at you as a scholarship candidate. Yeah, mm -hmm. you know, I mean, especially at a lot of regional law schools, um, your grades are going to be worse than like almost everyone in your class. But your LSAT score would be the highest in many schools with mm -hmm. a one sixty six. Mm -hmm. And I think the schools there then they understand that you do have the talent to get it done. You have to you have to convince them that you have the drive to get it done, um, and so an addendum that points to your senior year, much better grades, and you know a, a personal statement that really makes us, makes sense as to why you're going to law school. I think then they could look at you as kind of diamond in the rough sort of thing. Yeah, he also said here college in the U.S. was totally different from the reality back home, and given the fact that his grades went up. If he added an addendum that explained how it was different, assuming it's a legitimate difference, um, and how that required some adjusting, and look, I figured it out. I figured out the U.S. system or how it works here. I think that's a good case for why he would continue to have 
grade point average is pretty similar to what he ended with. Yeah, good point. So, right, point to the improvement and point to the reason why it was bad in the first place mm-hmm. and talk about the cultural adjustments. Um, I would assume that this candidate would also write a diversity statement uh, talking about being born and raised in Brazil. And yeah, I, I would think this you'd be very interesting um, to a lot of schools. What do you, the, this question, the, I'm going to do the last question next, which is, is the 175 plus plateau achievable for someone with my profile? <laughs> so kind of I, I so yeah, we're not, we're not trying to laugh at you, but it, it's, it, Matt, it's just a funny use of the word plateau for 175, because I don't know that most people would call that a plateau. Right. I think right. most people would think of a plateau, like I've hit 163 and I can't get above it. Is right. this my plateau and I'm never going to go higher? Um, so 175 plus plateau. Well, that's like calling the top of Mount Everest a plateau. Yeah. <laughs> which I maybe, maybe it's appropriate. I don't know. Um, yeah, but so what's he asking here? Is it, is it possible to get a 175 plus? Yeah. Um, is it likely? No, but I think it's definitely possible. Wouldn't you say? Yeah. I just think that people don't understand the extreme rarity Mm -hmm. of scores that are higher than 175 or higher than one you know 173 is about the 99th percentile right yeah so that's one out of a hundred get to 173 and it goes up sharply from there um the, the the truly top top scores are extremely rare i mean my guess would be that 175 plus might be one out of a thousand um, yeah, well, it's ninety nine one seventy five is ninety nine point six percentile or something like that. Okay, okay, so four out of a thousand. Yeah. Um. So, yeah, it's just it's like yes, it is possible. Certainly, I mean, started above one fifty, mm-hmm. which is good. Mm-hmm. Immediately improved a lot, all all the way up to one sixty six. Yeah, which is great. But can you reach the very tip top? I mean, I don't know. I, you can certainly try. Also, you don't need to. I mean, a, a 170 anything is a super impressive LSAT score. Yeah. Um, so anyway, I, good luck. But we would never in a million years be able to predict who's going to make it to 175 plus. I mean, even our last writer who started at a 165, Anastasia. Mm-hmm. I would not be at all guaranteeing that Anastasia was going to make it to 175 plus. Yeah. You know, I, I'd be surprised if she didn't make it to 170, but I, I would, anytime somebody gets to 175 or higher, that's like, holy shit. I mean, that's, that's, it's just really rare. It's really, it's very, very difficult to do that. Yeah. Um, I think it's a lot easier or intuitive for people to focus on the percentiles like that you've been mentioning, because when they hear 170 versus 180, in some ways, it's kind of like, oh, 170 is like an A or A minus compared to that 180, which is an A plus. And that's not true at all. You know, 170 is still in the top 3%. So Right, right. Yeah, I mean, it's like asking, yeah, asking um, is the 175 plus plateau achievable? That's like asking, am I a one out of a thousand talented person who you know, of all the law school applicants, am I going to beat 999 out of, 
out of a thousand of those. Um, yeah. And so the answer is, I don't know. I mean, somebody's going to, but um, everybody thinks they're going to, and uh, it's it's hard, you know. But they make the test. There are some questions on the test that are super duper hard for purposes of sorting out the one the one eighties from the one seventy nines. And um, yeah, we don't know who's going to get there and who's not going to get there. Did I tell you about the student who got one eighty last year? Um, no. So. It's a funny story because uh, he was doing well, but after he took the test, I didn't hear from him. And he was just in the class, and so there's a lot of people in the class, and some people like to get back to me, some people don't. So I, you know, it's hard to keep track of everyone, and I don't know exactly what happened to everybody. But um, six months after the test, he writes me and he says, oh, by the way, I got in law school, I'm excited, da, da, da. And then it was like, thanks. And then it was PS, or by the way, I got a 180. I'm like, by the way, <laughs> that, I don't know. It just seemed, I, did, I don't know if he was just trying to be humble and not like, you know, excitedly share that information or whatever, but I was, his, his email was very nonchalant. So cool. I don't know where if he end realized up, what he accomplished, but. Where did he end up going to law school? Uh, remember. That's a good question. I actually don't remember, but I'm, oh. I'm pretty sure it was Harvard. Okay, <laughs> yeah. But pretty funny. Uh, yeah, that's awesome. I, um, I think I actually, no, to add to this, I wrote him back and I said, oh, by the way, that's great. Um, and he, I don't think he ever wrote back. <laughs> so, um, anyways. Wow. Solid. Yeah. He probably um, just thought that was normal. He's like, oh, that's just, a, that's just an A. Got my A. I got yeah, my whatever. Yeah, he's used to it, yeah. Um, last question, and this is the one especially that I don't think I have any answer for. Does being an international student make any difference in admissions except for the 20 pounds of extra paperwork? What do you think about that? Oh, well, I think this is what we were kind of talking about before. I think it, it could touch on a diversity aspect that the school, yep. you know, is going to make you unique as opposed to just like everyone else who's applying with a 166 or whatever. Yep, yep. I agree with that. I think the diversity thing is um, definitely going to be a feather in the cap. Um, the one issue that maybe I I would think about is um, I had I have heard that they if they're ever going to look at the writing sample, they might do that a little more carefully with international students. Mm, okay. So I would think that Matt might want to make sure that he has a solid uh, writing sample, mm. which is really not difficult to do, but um, you know, they, you just remember that they might be concerned with your language ability. I mean, especially like with low GPA, uh, they might really want to look at that writing sample and make sure that you can uh, produce uh, solid sounding English in, uh, on a deadline. Mm -hmm. So I'd make sure you, you do that. We have, I wish I remembered it. Do you remember what episode we talked about the writing sample? Okay, so apparently we talked about... Was this recent? Because in episode 44, something came up with a writing sample. It totally oh, yeah. could be. Yeah, it is. Okay, so it's episode 44. Yeah, and in, for anybody out there who is interested in the LSAT writing sample, um, I, I talk about it in my class, but I only spend like 15 minutes on it. Yeah. And uh, I, I believe in that uh, one episode, we covered just about everything that you need to know about the writing sample. Yeah. So that's episode 44? 44. Cool. 
I've even found in my classes sometimes people will ask about it and I'll be like, go listen to episode 44 of the podcast <laughs> and you'll get everything you need to know. Um, cool. Well, I think that might be it for today. You got anything else you want to add, Ben? Uh, no, just that the uh, search box is right below. If you're having trouble finding it, it's right below the donate button. So, <laughs> so first do the donation, yeah, and do then, the donation, you, can then you can search for whatever. For whatever you want. Maybe we should make it so that the search, but the search box requires a donation. <laughs> yeah. like you have search. to put a quarter yeah. in the machine to make it work. <laughs> hey, whatever works. We could retire a day earlier. That would be great. Um, cool. Although I'm not going to ever retire. Are you going to retire, Ben? No, and I did ask my students last night. I said, okay, figure out what your neighbor's name is and what they do with $100 million. And then I said, if you would not go to law school, which actually probably is pretty rational with $100 million, but if you would not go to law school, you should seriously consider what you're doing now because it's obviously motivated at least slightly by money, and that may not be the best reason to go. Wait, consider what you're doing now. Oh, because you're here on on the path. Yes. Like, so why so, are you going on the path if you wouldn't go on the path if you had unlimited money? Yeah. That's what you're saying? Yeah. Sorry, that was a little... No, it's condensed. interesting. I like that. I mean, I... Um, yeah, yeah. I, 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 I dig that. I mean, I say a lot, I guess, that I think people should only go to law school if they feel like they're, you know, won't be able to sleep at night if they don't. Like, if you're just compelled to do the work that lawyers do, then... Mm -hmm that's that's a good idea to go to law school yeah but like if you're doing it because you think oh i'm gonna make a lot of money or like oh this is automatic gravy train kind of thing i mean that's definitely not the case no yeah um what my roommate in la is a lawyer one of my roommates in la um she has a friend that i met in law school and goddamn, she works long hours it's crazy yeah it is crazy i mean it's like every night I'm thinking we're going to have dinner here at the place. And it's like every night she's, you know, finally wrapping things up at 8 PM so that she can drive home. Um, yeah. <laughs> that's the, and, you know, and she works at home sometimes on the weekends and she, I mean, she's just, it's, it's nuts. She loves it though. You know, it's like she, she, she said last night that her work is the number one important thing in her life. Huh. And, but I mean, that's the kind of person that I think should be a lawyer. That's the kind of lawyer that you want to have, right? Yeah. 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 Because um, that's not so much work. I mean, it's so you're going to keep, you're going to keep doing this forever. Uh, you know, I don't know. Every year is different, but I plan, I don't see any reason to stop. It's, it's fun. It's a, a good way to make money, at least for me. And, um, yeah, it's fun. It's like very, it's very relaxing. You just get up and you talk with people. Class is fun. People like to joke around. Um, and we learn some stuff at the same time. Yeah, I like it. Yeah, I, I love it too. I mean, anybody out there who hasn't, if you've never tried teaching, but you think you might like it, I would definitely say give it a shot to just try, try teaching something because it is super rewarding. And it's also like, yeah, like you say, it's pretty easy life um to just talk about the things that you know about mm -hmm. <laughs> it's like really yeah. we get paid to do this mm -hmm. um so yeah i think i kind of feel the same way it is going to be weird isn't it to be like really old and still teaching lsat classes <laughs> yeah that's why i wonder how long i'm gonna do it but uh i 
I guess that's possible. So, yeah. Cool. All right. Well, I think that's it for today. Um, thanks everybody for listening. Uh, tell a friend and uh, send us your questions. Help at thinkinglsat.com. Anything um, else, Ben? Yeah, just uh, Twitter, I guess, has oh, yeah. continued to grow. So that's good, I think, at least a little bit. And um, it's just uh, at thinkinglsat. So. Twitter at thinkinglsat. Cool. Great. All right, guys. We'll talk to you next time. Yep. Thanks. Bye.